Brothers, sisters, greeting this afternoon. I do bring you warm greetings from uh, my home church in Rede- uh, Redeeming Grace Church in Cody, Wyoming. We, um, we are a smaller church. We were a plan of about two years ago. Uh, three years ago, I'm sorry, three years ago. Um, we, this is, since being there, this is my um, second time visiting Nairobi with TBC. Um, and I would like to, before I start, say from all sincerity and to hopefully encourage you that the church here impresses, is, 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 is an encouragement to me. While I come to hopefully encourage others, um, I always feel guilty because I think I walk away with being greater, of greater encouraged. So um, the faithfulness, the dedication that I see, even no matter the small church, you know, you've got, um, I don't know your member count, but it, 20. So we are actually not much bigger than you. Um, but uh, I, I, I want to encourage you and say, keep fighting the good fight. That um, I, I do say that with all sincerity, that uh, it's an honor to be here. And, and I was uh, excited to return. Today, I'd like to look at Luke 9.23 in particular. Um, I don't know the customary here. I'm used to it. So we're going to read uh, from 18 all the way through 27. Um, so let us read God's word. Now it happened that he was praying alone and the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. He strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him, the Son of Man, be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the the Father and of the holy angels." But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Father, what an honor it is to open your word. What an honor it is to be called child of God, to be adopted into your kingdom. Father, as this afternoon, as we, we celebrate the Lord's Day, as we come together as brothers and sisters from, from different backgrounds and different places in the world, we thank you that we have unity and, and solidarity, not because of ourselves, but because of you. Father, as we, we go through this passage, we, I ask uh, for myself to, to, to allow me to speak clearly and boldly, and for all of us sitting here, that may we, may we receive your, your word with gladness of heart. May it re- reproof us where it needs, and may it encourage us where it it will. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that it is in you and you alone that we have our hope. It's in Christ's precious name we do pray. Amen. So Luke 9.23 has five parts. I'm going to break it into five sections. 
One, he said to all. Two, if anyone would come after me. Three, let him deny himself. Four, take up his cross daily. Five, and follow me. Now, the first thing that should jump out at you is the Lord doesn't say just deny yourself, but he says, deny yourself and take up your cross. He lists these two things separately. So we're going to spend a little extra time really understanding the difference of what denying ourselves is and where the, and taking up our cross looks like. But before we get too far into passage today, I want to take a quick snapshot. I need you to understand what has just happened in the scripture. So the Lord has his disciples around him and he asks them, who do you say that I am? And they give various answers. But he asks then the 10 million shilling question. Who do you say that I am? Peter replies, the Christ of God, which of course is the correct answer. And this is the very answer that drives the rest of the teaching until verse 27. The last point before we get into 23 uh, is again, this is the important part. You must ask who I am. Read that and ask yourself, who do you say I am? That will determine everything in your life. That question is what will set the rest of your life forward. If you are here and you don't, for some reason, do not believe, if you've not been able to, to, to take by faith that Christ is the promised Messiah, the very Son of God, the Redeemer of your soul, and the one who can justify you, then you've missed the entire point of Holy Scripture. It's the entire point of the book. If you should have any doubts, I would pray that you would seek, you would seek counsel, whether your elders, myself this afternoon, who, whoever it would be, to pray to God that he would reveal to you his word. So let's begin with, with, with the first part. The first part in, in 23, it says, and he said to all. All the other literal translation says, and he said to them all. The only reason we're making this point is because we need to understand Luke is, there's four, there's four gospels. They all tell the same narrative. They just, and they're all God breathed, but they all come written by the, uh, by man. So therefore there is minor, there is different wording changes in that. But if you look back to Mark and Mark 8.34, referring to the same thing, Christ says, or the scripture tells us, and he, Christ, summoned the crowd with his disciples. So Luke is just simply stating the same thing when he says, and he said to them all. There is no need to labor here. We, we, we can see that Christ's teaching isn't just for the 12 apostles. It's not just for those who are teaching God's word. It is for all of us. It is for all of us who are sitting here. If you were born a human being, <laughs> Christ is speaking to you. Christ is asking you, who do you say I am? Now we know that who, who he's addressing to everyone. It's not just the 12 disciples. We come to the next part of the sentence where it says, 
if anyone would come after me. Now, if is an interesting word. It's a it, it's a clausal word. It, and I don't. I'm not going to go to debt. We're not going to go back to grammar school. We're not going to. Go, however, if you're going to read and study scripture, you do need to ask yourselves critical questions of the text. Who's being talked to? Who is he addressing? Who does it apply to? What is being applied? The word if here means that if one thing is to happen, something else must be present. It's not just, so for instance, if you desire to buy a car, you must give someone money. If just states that there is a condition that has to be met. And before I go too far into that even, I do want to take a, we're not speaking of works here. This isn't an if unto works. This isn't a, if you do this, if you tithe enough, if you are charitable enough, if you love me enough, if you do whatever enough, add your, your plus. It's not what we're talking about here. The scriptures, <clears throat> this if is telling us how to, to evaluate ourselves, how to judge our own, our own self. Christ and Christ alone has done the work. The Son of God has paid for all of your sins, and we know that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So just to make sure we're clear when we're talking about the word if, we're not adding works to grace. Grace is a gift of God. But God's word is loaded with imperatives. Imperatives, again, just this will be my last grammar, I promise, my last grammar point. The imperatives being action words. It means to come, follow me. Follow me, that's an action you have to take. This isn't a, you're not, doesn't say sit, twiddle your thumbs, and wait for Christ's return. He gives us each work to do. So in order to know and to account appropriately the, the actions that we are to take, Christ gives us warnings. Later in Luke, Luke uh, 14 through 25, you don't have to turn there. We're going to quickly go through. Christ is telling the crowd the price for following him. And he relates it to the person who wants to start building a tower. And he says, no one goes and starts making a building without first calculating how much this building is going to cost you. He tells you to take, count the cost. There is a cost. The penalty is far worse though, let me assure you. Let me. So when we read, if anyone would come after me, Jesus is saying, if you desire to follow me unto salvation, then you must be willing to deny yourself and take up your cross. So we know the passage is directed at everybody and everyone who desires to submit to his teaching. So what follows if anyone would come after me? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Several translations say he must deny himself. So depending on the, the Holy Scripture you're reading, you may see a slight variation in this. But what does it mean to deny yourself? Now, 
So there's several ways we can look at this. Deny is an important, so this is the must. So if you desire him, you must deny yourself. Well, this deny yourself has to be an important because it was just, it was the, it was the condition of if. Enomaya is the word that's used here in the original text. It's used 33 times in the New Testament. All translations, every time it's seen, it is agreed, the word means deny. So it's without question. Enomaya means, means to deny, and we're denying ourselves. So I ask you, what does deny mean? Deny means you were renouncing knowledge of something or, or renouncing something. Now, is Christ, what is Christ suggesting here? Is he Christ suggesting that only those with dementia will become his followers? That we have to forget who we, that I am Peter Hogue of, of, of you know, no, of course not. That would be ridiculous. That's not proper interpretation of scripture. So what does deny mean? It means we put off our own ambitions and our own will. To be a disciple of Christ means our wants, our priorities are secondary. And instead, we must seek the will of God the Father in all matters of life. We deny or renounce our flesh and live according to the Spirit. To do this means we look to Christ, just as Christ looked to the Father. Jesus, throughout throughout his ministry, tells us, I do the will of my Father who sent me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus is preaching, is preparing to be cut off from the Father. He knows he is getting ready to face the unmitigated full wrath of of his Father. There has never been a time in history where a time in, a time before time began that Christ was separated from the Father. And he, he was deeply grieved, grieved to the point of death. And facing God's wrath is, is something that none of us really can imagine. We know we all should fear it. We know that it is a horrible judgment. But Christ understood. Christ understood exactly what it was going to mean to face Christ, the Father's wrath. But what does Jesus say here? Does he take it? Does he say, I'm going to call a host of angels to, 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 to protect myself from facing God's wrath? No. No. He prays. Po- he's grieving to the point of death, and he prays to the Father, not my will, but your will. He submits himself. He denies his right as the second person of the tri- Trinity and takes up suffering because this is the plan of God the Father that he agreed with. But you see, this isn't a, the denying yourself here is is that we have submitted our will to to God. Our life should never be one where we seek our own glory, our own ambitions, our own cravings. But instead, we must live our life seeking God's will to purpose our life, to fall under the authority to God for the sake of the gospel. We should be praying daily that we may accomplish this. 
for the Lord to do what he has us for us in store. For if we are to be known by our love and doing the will of the Father, these are marks that we, we, we see in the, fa- in, in, in the elect. Doing the will of the Father is so important. Christ warns us even in Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So we deny ourselves and do the will of God. So to be the follower of Christ, we see we deny ourselves and be obedient to God. Philippians 2.8, being found as an appearance of a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of the death, even death on a cross. This is the ultimate act of denying ourselves, of, of your own will. Though I warn you, we have to be careful. We don't want to fall into the trap of, of, den- of denying ourselves for the sake of piety. <laughs> we are redeemed, but we are still in our flesh. And our flesh loves to give us praise. Our flesh loves when other people give us praise. It feels good. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful the actions that we take, that we are, we're not doing things just to uh, look super Christian, super spiritual, super religious. We don't, this doesn't, this isn't saying we're going about denying ourselves. You can't have uh, meals of substance. This isn't saying you go without sleep for eight days to prove your, how you've denied yourself for the sake of the gospel. That is self-seeking. That, that any time that your motive then is just to prove your Christianism, you've missed the point. You've absolutely... But there are many times we put such basic... That, but there may be times where we do do those things out of the good for others. However, again, that is not the normative. It's an, I, you need to, we, we need to remember, remind ourselves daily that we need to give ourselves a check of, of why are we doing, check our motives. To what, why are we loving our neighbor? Why are we giving charitable to our neighbor? Is it so that others would recognize us? Is it so others would, would pat you on the back? Whether it's publicly or not, sometimes it feels good just to get the praise, to know that others will notice and think better of you. But we've missed, the, we've missed the point again. <clears throat> These very pious acts is what Christ came preaching against. In Matthew 6, 16, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men which the, when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. A modern day example of this is Catholic Lent. Catholic Lent, 40 days leading up to Easter, they deny themselves something. Something they love, something they enjoy, something they cherish. This could be chai, caffeine, um, what meat, yes. I mean, 
there's, there's many different options. So for 40 days, they're giving this up. That sounds great. That sounds really super religious. But why are we doing this? Are we doing it for God's honor or for theirs? So they can tell others that how super Christian that they are, how, how close they're following to Christ because for 40 days they gave up something. I, I believe their, their logic here comes off of from 40 days in the, in, uh, of Christ fasting, which I really hope we would never compare you giving up chai for 40 days to Christ's 40 days in the, in, in the desert. Denying ourselves means we're bringing every aspect of our life into submission to Holy Scripture. We're are denying ourselves. Denying yourself isn't, you're, isn't, we're not to think of it as God is punishing you. The, the God of the universe is, is, is extolling his, his might against you, that you can suffer for his, for his whim. No. We deny ourselves to become more like Christ. The entire point, the, the entire, our life is slowly conforming to be Christ-like. And the more we become Christ-like, the more we grow. The more we, we, and the more you can be used of God. So again, we deny ourselves to kill the flesh and live by the Spirit. And when we deny ourselves, we, we are showing Christ. We, we, we are exuding Christ. The point, when we deny ourselves and we're becoming, conforming to the will of God, at this point, we become more and more like him. And as we become more and more like him, God has gained control of us, or not gained control, I'm sorry. The Lord has, has word has been fulfilled and that we will become more and more like Christ in whom we have been adopted through. So if we're going to fully trust in Christ, we must submit our own will, our own ambitions, and to be consistent with Christ. Only God truly knows what's best for us. We all think we know the best path. We all think that we can see into the future just a little bit. But that's, <laughs> but you, you're mistaken if you think that you can also see, don't understand how your life interacts with how many other people in a single day. How many people lives do you, you can't control yours. Do you really think you can set your path in a way that Christ, that it's going to be in the, the best path and that will also best interact with other people? No, that's left for God. That is why we submit to his will, because he, he has the picture. He understands. If anyone here has read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, it, if not, it's a story. It's an allegory of, of the Christian life. It, it, its whole purpose is to to put into story form one view of what the Christian life, Christian walk, may look like. Pilgrim and our Christian and hopeful are walking down the narrow road that that we are commanded in Scripture to walk, and they're walking down it, and it's starting to get a little rough. And as they're, it's rough. 
they see a green pasture right next to them. And in this pasture, it's a lush, soft ground to walk on. And they reckon to themselves, if we stay in the pasture, we can still see the road and we'll be okay. We'll just keep following in the pasture, take the easier path and keep an eye on the road. Anyone of you who's read it knows how horrible this goes. They go to the castle of despair. There's a giant, it, 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 is it, Pilgrim's Progress is a book that I really honestly believe every Christian should read. I think it's a, you may not relate exactly, but it is a, there are so many powerful points through this book. But Bunyan's pointing out that even when we think we can see, when we think we can walk right next to the hard road, and we're going to keep our eye on it. We're never going to take our eye off. That's not true. You're going to get lost. You are going to go off the narrow road. And we deny ourselves to him because that's the narrow road. The narrow road is how we follow him, is, is the road that we follow. So we've established the passage is first talking to everyone. And if everyone who desires him they must be willing to deny themselves or another way must deny their own ambitions and seek the will of God, the father. So with that being understood, we come to what does Christ mean and take up your cross daily? How is that different from denying ourselves? First, we must understand the cross. The cross is the symbol of ultimate humiliation. Again, as we read a minute ago, as I referred to a minute ago, Philippians 2.8, we see Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But why is the cross, is, why is the cross important to us? In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 20, 21, 22-23, God tells Moses, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree. You shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. Now, is this coincidence? 1,500 years before Christ is crucified, did God tell Moses, anyone hanging from a tree is cursed. And 1,500 years later, he looks down and sees his son hanging on a tree and goes, oh no, my son's cursed. Well, the point of the cross, this was the point of the cross. It was the curse. But this is, this is Christ's cross to, to bear. This isn't, this isn't to say this is your cross. So it is important to understand what the cross is, what it represents, and the purpose it served. It served that you and I may be reunited to God the Father, that we have a way to stand before him on that final judgment. Do you see the amazing wisdom of God here? That, that the sacrificial lamb that was to pay the price for everything was pre-told even to the details of hanging on a cross, hanging from the tree. 
another misconception of, of the cross, I don't know if the, if the saying goes here. In, in America, in Christian circles, or Christian ease, it's referred to as, it's my cross to bear. This is a, this is a way people misinterpret scripture. They will often say things would do things like long-term illness, maybe a quarrelsome spouse, maybe a misfortune or, or, or something, or, or a long-time illness. For example, a woman may have a drunk, drunkard for a husband, and she may say, that's just my cross to bear. Or a person who's got a bad back, it hurts all the time. And they will go on to say, but it's, but it's the cross the Lord has given me to bear. <laughs> if these are things that are come out of your mouth, I implore and beg of you. This is, this is a horrendous misrepresentation of the cross. This is almost mockery. This kind of, this, this kind of example is, is, is what shows us what we're not to do. It is the suffering between believers and unbelievers. There is a difference. We all share, unbelievers and believers alike, we all share in suffering. We all share the trials of this world. So if the cross you bear is you not unique to a Christian, it's not a cross. It's not your cross that Christ is speaking of. He's not telling the pagan that they are going to be carrying a cross for his sake. No, they need to come to, the, to him for salvation. R.C. Sproul writes a great summary on, on, on um, the cross. And it, it summarizes that Jesus is saying here, that when we take the name Christian and openly identify ourselves as Christ, we must be ready not only to bear the normal suffering life brings, but to share in the particular suffering of Christ. So as a Christian, how do we rightly understand? Take up his cross and deny himself daily. Or and take up his cross daily. Since we know, we've established that the, the cross spoken here is, is unique to the believer. It's not, it's not for the unbeliever. And if that's the truth, if it's tied to the believer, that means the cross is tied to our faith. And we're not talking about faith in general. We're not talking about having faith in, in, in your own version of God. We're talking about faith in Jesus Christ as we see in the scripture. We see the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, of David. The God as he's revealed himself in the scripture. So the cross here must be the willful denial and possible persecution in order the world may know you by your love. When he says he must deny himself is an act of denying yourself to come under God's will. But when he says take up your cross daily, this is denying yourself to others and for, other, and for others' sake. This means when you can legally enact vengeance, when you legally can, can go against who's ever wronged you, 
That may not be the course of action. That this could be, if you are being persecuted because of your faith, it is not your vengeance to have, but it is the Lord's, for he will repay. It, and when we're being actively wronged, it's hard to tell. It's, it, it, it's hard to know what we're suffering for, how we're suffering. Jesus knew his closest friends. He, he had 12 disciples. One's betrays him right before and turns him over to the Romans for crucifixion. The other 11 abandon him at his darkest time of need. At the time where he asks them to come pray with him, they scatter. They're not, John we see at the foot of the cross next to his mother, but the other 10, we have no idea. They are not around. But does he, does he, does he, does he enact Show anger against them? No. This is what he was called to do. So when those have shown scorn to you or curse you, show compassion for you yourself once whereas they are now. There was a time when you were an enemy of God. There was a time in your life before God placed his irresistible love upon you. So take heart of those who persecute you for the sake of Christ. For Christ was persecuted and he loved them. Each of us here will have a different kind of cross to carry at different stages in your life. There are many possible examples here. Maybe you have a business dealing with an unbeliever. It could be Muslim. It could be, an, it could be a false convert. Let's say you own, you own livestock. Let's say that you have spent, you've labored extra, you, you have invested extra money into increasing, fattening up the, cat, the cattle. And you're preparing, your wife is pregnant with a baby. And you need, this, this, these two cattle are getting ready to pay for the needs that you, your family is about to have. And you know that they're, I, I, I don't know, beef price, work with me. 200, let's say beef is going, selling to the butcher at 200 kilograms per shilling, or 200 shillings per kilogram. And as you're going to the butcher, you've, you've got your fatted calf. You're going to the butcher. You're getting ready to have the extra money that your family needs. You're praising God. You're singing hymns. You're praying aloud. You are excited for the Lord is about to provide you of what your family needs. The butcher's a Muslim. He hears your singing. He hears your prayers. He knows you're not following Allah. For Satan has allowed the Muslim to then, to, to treat you dishonestly, poorly. They, that's in their teachings. So you get to the butcher and he thinks to himself, ha, this is a Christian. I'm going to give him 170 shillings per kilogram. 30 shilling loss per kilogram. It's the only butcher available. You have to have the money. You have been, because of your display of faith, this is why you're persecuted. This is not because he did not persecute you just to take advantage of you. There's, there are those examples. 
But when you are persecuted, this is your cross. See, you become a believer. Again, let's say you've you've become a believer. You and your brother growing up were best of friends. You were thick as... you, You were a very close union. You become saved. And you start... Your initial reaction is, is I, want, I would want my brother to hear this word too. I would like for my brother to share in the joys of Jesus Christ. So you start sharing the word with your brother. Your brother happens to be, he's gone into a, a more immoral life. And he doesn't want to hear the words of Christ. He doesn't want to hear what you have to say. But you prayerfully pray. You prayerfully come to him time and time again. And you bring him the word of God and promise him of Christ's love. To turn, to repent, to turn from his sin. And when you tell the world to turn from their sin, they will hate you. Your brother ends up hating you because you told him to turn from your sin. He's become very angry with you. He takes you to court saying the land, your land was purchased by him. He gave you the money to purchase your land. This is a lie. He takes you to court. He's, he's bribed friends, let's say even. He hates you because you've preached the word of God. This is the cross of the Christian. Unbelievers do not experience this, this suffering. This is the suffering that is unique. But even at this, you need to take charge. You need to take courage. For Christ has overcome the world. You, you are, a lot of times we're un, unaware of someone, why someone is mad at us or hates us or treats us unfairly. And that's probably for the best. Because we're to love them through it no matter what. What makes Christianity different? What, 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 did, what did God give to his covenant people that the rest of the world doesn't have? They will know you by your love. Sorry. So we've established that everyone is being spoken to. That if you desire Christ, you will follow him. You will deny yourself and take up your cross. Denying yourself means that you have denied your will unto God's will. Your cross is the one that you will bear before others, before your fellow man. So we come to and follow me. We're to follow Christ. It means to be imitators of Jesus. He has set the example for us to follow. Our Lord has come to the earth and walked among us. He's faced trials and tribulations of the world. There is nothing, and he has overcome. There is nothing that you can face that he is unaware of. He has suffered in all things. And this is a great encouragement. For who here, if you've gone through a dark time or a dark trial, doesn't doesn't long for his brother or friend or father, mother, to come alongside and walk with you? to know, to travel this path with you. We have each other, the brothers and sisters in the faith. 
we also have Christ. And we are to be imitators of Christ. For that is the path that leads to everlasting. So brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged. For know while this happens, these sufferings happen, these plights will happen, you are in the middle of the good fight. First and foremost, suffering... The suffering of Christians has been told for the very lips of Jesus Christ. For Christ promised, you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is he who endures to the end will be saved. So let me end with, if you are a Christian here today, you have been adopted, you are a son or daughter of the living God the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of David. Be of good faith. Be of abounding cheer. Be of great courage. For your path that you're not taking alone. It is he who endures to the end that will be saved. Consider it not even worthy to mention these sufferings, whether it be through denials or taking up your cross. For Christ is overcome. And if Christ is overcome, he will bring victory to you. For he has promised he will return. And the day he returns, he will call us unto himself. So be of courage. Submit your will to God the Father. Be willing to be hated by the world. For that is the path that leads to eternal life. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truths of your word. We thank you that in Christ and Christ alone is our hope. That because he was victorious, we too shall be victorious. That we shall become brothers of Christ. We thank you for this day. We thank you for our gathering. And as we, as we get close to the end, Father, I, I want to pray for the church here in Meru. I would ask, Father, for you to continue to be faithful to them, to help them grow, to encourage those, the elders, deacons, members. Father, would you be kind and merciful to them in their labors? Would they be the light in Meru? Would they be the, the church that, is, that stands apart? that doesn't sell out for the sake of prosperity, that they were the ones who, who are the faithful. We thank you for them. We thank you for the teachings that have been provided in this church and, and that we know that through you and you alone is how your, ch- our, your church grows. So we rest in this truth and in your name. Amen.